I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. My guest today is French-born tarot reader, Letizia Barbier. She studied art history at the Sorbonne and has been working professionally in the arts for over a decade. She's here to discuss her new book, Tarot and Divination Cards, a Visual Archive. She's an integral part of the Morbid Anatomy Museum, where we host our monthly psychoanalysis, art, and the occult events. She also offers classes through Morbid Anatomy Museum. You can follow her at Instagram at Letizia Cartomancy and check out her website, LetiziaCartomancy.com. That's L A E T I T. I-A-C-A-R-T-O-M-A-N-C-Y dot com. Speaking of which, our next event at Morbid Anatomy Museum is coming up on November 20th. Join us for Cinematic Surrealism in Los Angeles, Maya Darren and David Lynch by Sabina Stent. And Mary Wilde will be joining her, presenting David Lynch, Cinema's Uncanny Master. Visit morbidanatomy.org events for details. You can also visit psychartcult.org. That's P-S-Y-C-H-A-R-T-C-U-L-T dot org for links and more information. On a personal note, now that I've wrapped up six different events in six different cities in three different countries over the past five weeks, I am settling back into my weekly routine at my home office, and I actually have some availability for analysis. So if you've been interested in pursuing psychoanalysis and specifically with me, now is a good time to get in touch. You can email me at vs at Dr. Vanessa Sinclair. To support the podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl. Thank you so much to everyone in our Patreon community. Your support is greatly appreciated. Every Monday in our Patreon community, we post Magic Monday, where my husband Carl Abrahamson and I post about our magical and creative practices. Join us at Patreon. As usual, this episode of Rendering Unconscious is available to view at YouTube. Visit Trapar Films YouTube channel. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T Film at YouTube. Yeah, and usually I just tell people to start wherever they want. But for you, we're starting with your fabulous book on the tarot <laughs> and divination cards. And divination cards, yes. How did this book come about? Uh, well, you know, the it's um, it, you know, it's a long, uninteresting story. Um, I I read cards. Uh, professionally now I've not done that for a very long time I read card for very very long but um I I started to read card professionally for about like I don't know five six years 
And uh, that's something I've, I started when I was like 11, but uh, at no moment um, I thought it was going to be useful to, to do it uh, for others. It was really part of a very private uh, spiritual practice for me, you know, like working with the images and, and having, you know, and, and it's just like I had this, this thing, but I, I kind of like, it was really on and off throughout my life. And then I had uh, two readings, uh, one in Needale. Um, at the moment, the Morbiatomy Museum was folding. And another one uh, by uh, a tarot reader <laughs> who was, uh, also happened to be um, Joanna's stepmom. And uh, both of them, the medium from Needale, um, Lauren Thibodeau and her, uh, Judy uh, told me, give me the same message, maybe like six months in between, which was basically you need to read cards and uh, you're going to channel by doing automatic writing. So, you know, the first time I was like, oh, that's so great. And everyone, <laughs> all my friends were like, oh, that's great. You have the look, you know, just like, oh, whatever. <laughs> and so I, I brought, I went to France that summer. I brought back uh, some part of my, my tarot book collection and it was just, it was, you know, interesting to read that ball. Um, and then when the, I got the, the second the second reading, suddenly I just took it so much more seriously. And uh, and it just felt like, a, it felt like retrieving, a, you know, my mother tongue, basically. It's just like something I've forgotten. And now it was just back there. So fast forward a couple of months, um, I'm just like, well, you know, I'm gonna try to, I should, you know, people should know I'm reading cards now. <laughs> So I started a, I started an Instagram because I'm a millennial and that's what we do. You know, I love curating images. This is what I do, you know, like to avoid working. <laughs> I go on, uh, you know, library database and I just try like keywords and see what comes up and spend hours kind of leafing through the, the results. And um, and so I've, I've done that for, I don't know, like so so many years. And I was like, what, what if I just try to put the word tarot or divination card? And um, and then all that uh, all those um, that came uh, through, you know, from you know the British Library, uh, Welcome Museum, the Gallica database, which is the the French National Library, and um, and that's so interesting, you know, like I've I've been to all those places, uh, you know, in libraries and thing, and they, those cards are never on display; they're just never on display ever. So maybe instead of doing a boring Instagram where I'm like. You know, discards mean this and discards mean that. Uh, because that's not how it work anyway. I thought, well, maybe people are going to be interested in seeing those cards that have been part of people's life before, um, you know, the writer waits miss, you know. And uh, and of course people are, because people are curious and are enthused by beautiful things <laughs> for some completely and you know the completely and and um related reason the, the instagram became popular and um my i, I worked with a, that publisher before and he told me oh what about we do a book on on tarot and divination cards and that's how it came to be you know uh, the book took me three years to research and nine months to write um and which is why it's so thick <laughs> oh yeah it's a thick book and it's so beautifully printed thank you it's just it's it's Amazing. really yeah I, i'm happy they they took you know they took pleasure in making it so sexy lavish yeah. it is a lavish book yeah yeah and i think the subject matter really earned it you know i think that tarot is such a 
you know, it's such a strangely Venusian Taurus, um, you know, uh, tool, you know, and the way I see, the way I read it, it really relies on the beauty of the card. So, you know, to speak about something that is so subjective as much as, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, um, you know, you had to, like, I think they, they did a really great job, like creating a perfect little shrine for all those images that are just like super inspiring and beautiful. Yeah, and it's so amazing to see how how different people have interpreted these kinds of like archetypes or symbols or um, yeah, these different cards over centuries, you know, yeah. many, many centuries. Yeah, well, th that's the thing that, I, you know, that's the thing I found interesting, but it's not specific to tarot either. It's the how, you know, we function with images uh, and the... The, the 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 history of the iconography of tarot, you know, is so interesting because it it it's not it's not the history of its function, you know, it's just the the story of how we relate to images and and how those images come to mean specific things at certain times. And so when you look at the history of tarot, you know, we we think of tarot as like you know this 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 maybe divination tool or introspective tool that really kind of like comes and dig within the most intimate part of herself or speaks about about uh, you know potential uh, futures that are very intimate and you know when you have like a uh, which has been my case several times during my lifetime I had like a pretty insane divin divinatory <laughs> revelation through through reading and and you're like how does person you know, knows me so well, you know, from, and, uh, but uh, when you took the, you take the card, it will speak about us as a culture, you know, and I'm, I'm really interested in that as much as I'm interested in the, the, you know, divinatory uh, or psychological aspect of the tarot. Like there, there is something that's so profoundly human, you know, <laughs> about the tarot, about, you know, a tool uh, which is used for game, but also hijacked from that first function to become, you know, like, you know, some kind of a um, prognostic um, platform, you know, like, and then, and, and, and a platform on which people project fears, hopes, uh, dreams, uh, ideals, all that stuff, you know, like, uh, and the way it's seeing the way it shifts too, you know, the, I, I found that really fascinating at the time the, the, the tarot was invented in the 15th century. You look at that first branch, you know, where you see the the quote unquote, the, the battler, the magician, the, the you know, who's basically an artisan. You see the the pope, uh, the the monk, the fool, and you see those people. They can't really, you know, their fate is sealed. You know, <laughs> if they were born rich, they will stay rich. You know, uh, if they were born uh, poor, they will stay poor. They can't. There is no trans class, you know, so like the idea of fate was so much more present in the 15th century. And so, of course, people, you know, like I imagine, you know, were like trying to find um, ways to kind of uh, escape it. Uh, but uh, but now in the, you know, since the 19th century, people have like, you know, we have all this like new ideas, self-made and genius. And, and the idea that you can start from nothing and become very rich or become, you know, very smart or become, you know, uh, those are very contemporary ideas, and they're uh, and you can see them in the in the tarot. You see them reflected in those tarot decks, and the way they are designed, uh, the way the, the the little booklets are written, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I just found it like um, uh, 
never exhausting <laughs> topic. And uh, and yeah. Absolutely. And I love that you include contemporary tarot decks as well. I have some of the OC decks. They're so beautiful. And I don't have the ghetto tarot deck, but I've seen it online before. And it's so striking, especially the justice card. I feel like that is just the most beautiful portrayal of justice. It's so, such a striking card. Yeah. Yeah. The, the ghetto tarot is really interesting. And people don't, um, I mean, the just, well, you know, the stories in the book. Um, it was created by um, this uh, woman called Alice Met, and uh, when she used to travel to Haiti, and she met uh, this uh, group of artists uh, called Artistes Resistance, uh, were um, sculpture in Port-au-Prince, uh, and uh, and they this collaborated on that tarot deck. And some of the images, I think, are um, you know some of the m most beautiful, most impactful uh tarot cards the my favorite one uh is the um, the high priestess from the ghetto tarot uh which you know basically it's this this black woman uh she's you know like kind of wrapped in this like priestess shroud and then the the two columns are made out of drape you know they're just like those two pieces of fabric that are supposed to kind of um recall for to you know the the actual columns from the jacquim and boas the Temple of Solomon column, and um, and uh, there is something in the high priestess, you know, like the, there is an holographic aspect in in her meaning, you know, the fact that she's not really from her world, you know, she's she might be just a presence or, or a projection coming from between those two pillars and coming forth. There's something very abstract about that that card, and uh, and even if you look at the writer with Smith. She kind of looks like a torso on a cube, <laughs> a veiled torso. She almost like she, if she had emerged from that cube, that throne, out of nowhere, like a puff of smoke. And uh, and and there is no card that translated better, I think, that kind of like holographic, emerge, you know, kind of smoke and mirror uh, aspect that the ghetto tao and the, that high priestess. You know, everything becomes a veil. You know, like in that card. And I found, I don't know, <laughs> I found it. Just inc incredible, incredible. It is incredible. I saw recently an article that the Whitney is going to have an exhibition of Pamela Coleman Smith. Like people are starting to recognize the art world. People are starting to recognize her as an artist again because she was recognized yeah. back in her day, you know. Well, she 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 was at a moment. A moment. <laughs> yeah, Moments, and then she there's some something happened, and she you know like like she got you know kind of sucked out of, you know she she died in great poverty uh, somewhere in um, Great Britain. I can't remember uh, some I can't remember the exact place uh, she died in. Uh, but uh, yeah, the Whitney included her in this kind of uh, exhibition called Woman of the Avant Garde. You know, like the I guess after the. The incredible success of uh, Ilna Hof Klimt and the Guggenheim, which was just such a just a magnificent show, but also it for the first time that architecture felt like a sacred space. You know, I think that it is just that seeing all those painting and the 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 spiral rotunda uh, felt like a you know be, really being in a temple. So it just brought, I guess, the 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 sacred architecture 
um, back uh, for once, you know, but uh, suddenly, you know, hot topic, you know, spiritualist woman, early avant-garde. Uh, a lot of museums are doing shows about it, and I think it's great, you know, like it's really great. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so, so when, um, the, the Whitney um, right now is showing a couple of the early cards and um, some drawings that she did um, in the early uh, 20th century, but she she really was a visionary, you know, there is something, um, um, there is this drawing, and I, I can send you a, a, an image of it if you want, there is this drawing that she did, uh, uh, like a landscape, a, um, a landscape of New York, kind of a skyline of New York, uh, and I'm, you know, I might not be completely exact on this, but I think the drawing is from 1905, you know, and it's before the the actual skyline of New York, you know, before New York was filled with sky skyscraper, but yet she, she saw it, she saw it before everyone else. So she really was, um, you know, like she was connected to something and she managed to kind of like transpose that uh, in her work. Um, and, you know, I, I found that uh, quite exciting to be honest. I, I think that now there it's been, you know, and then we have to thank uh, people like Mary uh, Kay Greer and, um, you know, a lot of those like, you know, 70s tarot reader who became tarot scholar and then try to kind of like understand the, pro the production of that time historically and visually as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you if it wasn't for that generation of women in the 70s, you know, who knows if we <laughs> we would know who Pamela Coleman Smith really is, you know, the, there is very little. There used to be very little, and now we have like actual scholarships and academic books about her. So um, it's it's really it's really great. Uh, she's such a an inspiration <laughs> to me, you know. Uh, she's such a strange, uh, and I, I I love you know like I, I found a, a complete kinship um, toward Pamela Coleman. I think you know one of the reason I'm, I'm French, but I, I read the the writer Wade Smith because for some reason there's something in that early century kind of like post pre-Raphaelite, you know, like longing mm. for medieval troubadour stuff that really correspond to something of my own personal sensibility. I don't read with a Marseille and, a, you know, most people think it's so vulgar <laughs> for a French person not to read the Marseille. I did read it for so long, you know, but uh, it's just like, you know, like I found those, the images she created are such a poetic, never ending well, you know, they just never cease to, to bring something. Um, surprising and, and shockingly matter of fact very often so yeah, I'm i think you wrote that she she created them all from like april till october 1909 like she painted the whole deck in such a short period of time yeah yeah and it's just like it's like you know there is a lot of um you know controversy around like what did she create it for it you know like uh, obviously uh weight gave her some kind of a very you know, kind of like tight parameters for the major arcana, but it's usually um, accepted or open that she created that new technology of the minor arcana being co uh, completely illustrative. Um, she might have been inspired by the Sola Busca deck, which is a 15th century deck. It was a great, there is a great book about it uh, in Scarlet Imprint <laughs> for people. Who, the the book, the the Sola Busca book, uh, the Sola Busca book that's kind of like it's just like such a mad amazing read and i recommend everyone who's interested in tarot history to check it out 
but uh but so yeah so like the this this new um this new technology of like having the major uh, minor arcana as like uh, figurative cards you know suddenly it kind of opened up uh, a more intuitive approach uh, which was uh, clearly needed and uh you know like in the age of aquarius uh, 60s 70s it completely thrived you know people thrived on openness and and fluidity so like suddenly reading card was not you know, absorbing a very long uh, system. Uh, it was something more kind of like instinctive and sensual as well. So I'm more from that. Yes, that, that sensibility for sure. Absolutely. And and so much more rich to read all the symbols and images uh, for the minor arcana than just some decks that I have that just have still like the, the swords and the numbers and not, not any kind of images. Mm -hmm. I, I always... I have some decks that I really love the imagery of the of the cards that do have like faces, but then when they have a lot of just the kind of numbers and and swords or wands or cups without any images on those cards, I find them hard to read because I'm just so I'm I'm so used to the Rider Waite Smith. I used that for such a long time. I had the same deck from when I was like 13 until oh. I was in New York. It probably was like 2016. Had the same deck that I used, and then I was at the uh, KGB bar, and I guess I lost it. I lost it there. <laughs> someone, someone found it. It's probably a great tarot reader now. <laughs> yeah, and ever since then, I've had so I've ordered so many decks, and I'm try always trying to find like the one I want, but I'm just constantly changing decks now. I haven't found like one that that I want to use all the time. Yeah, it's just, it's so interesting, this, um, and then, the, you know, you were talking about Uzi, which I, I love, I love their work so much, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't fall for decks so much, you know, I'm like, I collect a lot of things, and I've got a, obviously, I've got a problem, <laughs> I have a total order, my house is a complete mess, uh, but I do not collect uh, tarot deck, because it has this, it's a dead object, you know, unless it's red, and uh, and it's just like uh, maybe it's my my own insanity. I tend to maybe anthropomorphize the deck too much, you know, or at least the relationship for me is really human. Um, and uh, and very much like in a you know I can't very much because like I'm not polyamorous. Uh, no problem if, you, if people are of course, but I can't I can't read with so many decks. You know, I feel like I have this this friendship or relationship with my the the writer Wade Smith and uh and sometimes I rekindle with others but uh but that's the thing that just like it's the it's the love of my life <laughs> you know it's, it's so hopelessly romantic to say so but uh the, that's the one I, I do my best job you know like we uh that's the one that really helps people for for me you know like it's just my you know like like that's the you know, I'm the meat puppet of the card, so they kind of they tell me what I'm supposed to bring uh, forth. But uh, but that's the I think that that's brought from the relationship itself. But um, meanwhile, I'm amazed about all those decks and uh, the fact that very much like tattoos in the um, 2000s. You know, there is this weird new movement. You know, like tattoos used to look like tattoos and. 2000 and tarot decks used to look like tarot decks and then suddenly they were kind of reclaimed the two practice were reclaimed by artists who decided what if we own this and we were just using kind of reinventing the rule according to our very peculiar sensibility and suddenly 
you have all this just this incredible wealth of um well visual production you know like people like uzi reinvents systems you know they bring like such a an intelligent visually complex but also really accessible uh and you know it's really easy to love <laughs> they're big in other world it's just such a beautiful it's such, such a, a beautiful bag yeah it's so so masterful visually yet you know i know tons of people read it and just feel like you know spontaneously drawn to it and can create a relationship with it so so that i i'm excited to be part of you know just to, to be a witness of that kind of like tarot culture 2.0 you know like after internet after all those images circulates that now we have access to history uh techniques we can create community around it we can learn and teach uh and you know find each other <laughs> around the world that's that's a really exciting time to be in as a tarot reader for sure you know i really appreciate that yeah i made my own um cut up deck but i've only made the the major arcana uh -huh. and as much as sometimes i don't mind just reading with the major arcana i really like all of the different aspects and nuances and dynamics in in the whole deck in the minor arcana too so mm -hmm. so that's the one i go to when i just want to pull like a card or something or when I'm, sometimes when i'm doing yoga in the morning i like to light a candle and pull a card for the day and i'll use the one that i made but when mm -hmm. i do full readings i like to use the whole deck but yeah i still haven't i, I even got a new rider wade smith but I, it's like not the one that i had for so long that deck was just like you know wasn't falling apart but it was very well used mm. um and I was just yeah I was so attached to it that I've never been able maybe it's like it was my love and yeah. I haven't been able to find a replacement so now I'm just shuffling through all these I'm dating <laughs> all these other decks <laughs> I'm just like no you're exactly. not the same no you're not the same yeah. <laughs> it's my lost love <laughs> you're a heartbroken tarot reader I just well, like it's it's you know I found well, I I you know I feel for you so much. I think it's true. Uh, That's a long time to have the same deck. Like, too, like it's just like I I can't stop thinking, you know, like I can't stop thinking about what times of your life that that deck accompanied, you know, probably your whole transformation to, you know, like girls to teen to woman to uh, master shrink you know <laughs> super you know like you're established, you know like scholar and so it's just of course you know like all the all those cards told your story in a different way and managed to kind of guide you to be this like super you know like um of all incredibly talented and and you know and then uh, aggregator of super smart and interesting people and all you know, always doing some you know always taking something new out of a hat you know <laughs> it's just like i can see why that deck uh that deck uh can you know it's just like it's so it's almost like your whole story is like somewhere lost in in new york you know yeah what happens? it's in the lower east side yeah <laughs> there is a whole book there is a whole at least a whole poem to be written about this story you know maybe like that would help mm, yeah maybe i need to make it into something make something about it and then maybe i can find another deck to use that will be satisfying for this section of my life also speaking of such interesting people amazing that rachel pollock wrote the foreword for your book hello yeah <laughs> well right Ra Ra rachel and uh, i'm seeing this as a you know like um 
she's not uh, she's not well right now. So um, mm. you know, sending uh, lots of love to her and uh, hoping that people who listen to this will send um, her uh, love and uh, and you know the message <laughs> message of love. She reads them, so you know, like it it really helps her. But yeah, Rachel is um you know I don't I don't know how to say it. She's you know like a she's like um one of the most amazing <laughs> human I know and uh, because she's um extremely wise but she's also extremely fun and um and you know to go back to what I was talking slight, slightly earlier like this generation of women you know like there is a lot of like different you know um the sensibilities in tarot between the psychological tarot and intuitive tarot and traditional tarot or you know like people come from an occult background or sometimes not and um and uh and there's something to be said you know if i had to kind of uh, reclaim my affiliation um it is prof profoundly anglo-saxon but not you know it's from those like you know like uh, the hippie woman you know from the 60s and 70s you know, the Mary Greer and Rachel of this world were complete punks, you know, like the, uh, I had, um, uh, on my Patreon, I had, um, uh, I did an interview with uh, Cheryl Smith, who's um, a tarot historian, and I was, uh, she's, you know, in her late 70s, uh, and uh, she was telling us about, you know, like how it was to try to learn tarot in the 60s and 70s uh, without the internet in the Bay Area, you know, <laughs> And uh, people creating decks, all that, all that stuff. And uh, the DIY spirit is so unparalleled, you know. Like, uh, and also like a person like Mary Greer writing a book like Tarot for Yourself in the eighties, you know, like it's kind of a one of a kind book. At the time, people were not really reading cards for themselves. It was considered superstitious, so it really was like, you know, kind of kicking the end from. <laughs> they were so punk, you know, like, and, and Rachel really is a, she, she wouldn't say that about herself, but I'll say it because she, it's true. She, she's such a, uh, an irreverent, fantastic uh, storyteller. And I think that's one of the, the, one of the thing I love so much about her, you know, like, like one of the thing I learned, you know, and I think a lot of people learn is that, um, the stories have the power to change our lives, you know, and, uh, and tarot is um, a tool that articulate one story, like one possibility. And, and we can basically take decision around it or use it to inspire us or use it as a cautionary tale. But, um, but, and of course, you know, I'm not saying that tarot is not magical, but, uh, but maybe it's just about this, you know, maybe it's just about uh, tarot, tarot is about um, the, the, the power of, you know, um, speaking, the, the power of envisioning your own story and, and verbalizing it, you know, which I think, you know, is very, you know, close to, <laughs> you know, I'm not a psychoanalyst myself, but I'm very interested in it. And the, the idea of just trying, tr finding the words or telling your own story or tr trying to articulate it with your own language, you know, tarot is very much about that. And I think Rachel, um, was, um, you know, like, um, you know, like really changed the, really changed the, the scope of things, you know, like she wrote, you know, like she, she, she worked for comics and she wrote not like the tarot stuff is like a large part of what she did, but she also wrote like, I don't know how many novels and things. And, and she really displayed that, you know, like uh, being a good tarot reader is um, being a good storyteller uh, and, and understanding that a story 
whether it is uh, or or just um, a myth is potent and um, and has power to kind of shift parad paradigms within within us. Yeah, exactly. People thrive with myth and metaphor um, and these kinds of allegories. And I feel like that's what that's what really uh, mainstream culture has tried to take away a lot is like the power of myth and make everything like, you know, mm -hmm. super, I mean, science is great too, but you can't just boil everything down to its parts and thinks that's the whole thing. They're like myth and metaphor and allegories are so potent and people really think and understand in those ways. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's interesting that too, you know, obviously I'm not, <laughs> I was listening to this radio, uh, this radio show in France, you know, I listen to the radio a lot and, um, and um and i listen to french radio because i'm french and so we have a lot of like great philosophy uh show and uh one of them that I was listening a couple of days ago uh was on some uh there was an there was like a, a recording of jacques lacan jacques lacan yeah <laughs> uh and he was talking about that that one thing you probably know uh, so much more about this he was talking about a text that freud um wrote at some point where he compared the, his discovery of psychoanalysis and put it in perspective of like Copernicus kind of changing the paradigm of, you know, like the solar system and, you know, like the, the earth is not at the center, the sun is at the center. And then the fact that, you know, discovering the, the whole um, psychoanalytic theory was felt like this and Lacan was talking, oh, well, actually I see things differently slightly. But, um, and so it was just interesting because I've, I've heard him speak so much in other shows, but like, there was something about the, his way of speech, you know, like the, his like love of puns and, and his great theatricality when he speak, you know, just like when Lacan speak, it's a spectacle, you know, you don't, it doesn't read this way. And um, I didn't try hard <laughs> to say this, so, you know, don't quiz me. But, uh, but I just, I, I was just kind of completely ama uh, amazed by his way of speech, because when I read the card, it's the same thing, you know, like the very often the, the, they function to me, at least in visual puns, you know, the idioms, you know, I will see an element and the element will be an idioms coming up, you know, like, and so there is, um, you know, like this very strange aspect of like image language stories, um, something, you know, like the, the, you know, people speak about that, that language of the birds, you know, this kind of like use of puns and magical text to kind of hide secrets or different levels of um, understanding. And um, and I, I feel I feel that that's one of the great pleasure of the cards. You know, they have they have a slang. You know, <laughs> they, they speak the same card will speak differently to you with a different tone, and uh, and uh, it makes it so um, it makes it as a tool. Whether we use it for divination or for introspection, it makes it, makes it such a live tool. It's like a it's it's the real um, never-ending story, you know. It's just like things reshuffle. The story kind of reshuffle itself every time. Like we, all the parameters um, are repositioned, and the met the matrix evolves, you know. From uh, it's like um, some kind of like strange narrative ecosystem. I found that really beautiful. That is wonderful, and I'm glad you brought up Lacan because um, I wish I could listen to him and understand what he was saying in, in French. Because that's exactly how I feel like, uh, obviously I haven't been able to do that and understand him, but um, uh, when I read, you know, he didn't write very much. He only has like one collected, uh, a book of collected writings. 
that apparently he was like very against even publishing because he didn't like writing so much but everything that's that, that we have of his are all these talks you know mm -hmm. and people have transcribed them from recordings of the talks but he wasn't involved in the editing or anything like that and and then you know so many academic Lacanians spend so much time kind of arguing points and trying to like systematize what he was saying and you know here he said this in this later seminar and that kind of negates what he said earlier and to me that just feels so much like missing the point because I definitely even even reading these edited seminars I just get this feeling that you just kind of have to like just let go of that and just kind of like read along and like let it kind of wash over you and you're going to be confused at times and you're going to be like struck at times and you just have to kind of go with it you know <laughs> and see what happens it just sparks something so I can imagine that in person he was very much this kind of like experience like an event you know where he, and he feels to me very much like he was just like like he he is obviously so well read and has read so many things and thought about so many things. And it seems to me when he goes up, he has kind of like an idea of what he's going to talk about, but he really just like lets himself kind of associate. And it, it feels to me like the, like he is kind of like in this experience of what psychoanalysis does, like when you're conducting sessions where people are able to like really tap into their unconscious and let themselves associate and play with language and kind of see where it leads rather than having this like fixed idea of like where he's going to go and and uh yeah how all these formulations are going to be that's just how I I imagine him and perceive him who knows what that's you know what's true but um but there was something you wrote in the book about people trying to kind of calcify something that's like moving and evolving and when I read that sentence in the book I thought of exactly that of all these like psychoanalysts trying to kind of lock down theories um, that are evolving theories and they're like live practices and, and your theories and your you should always be evolving because it, yeah, it's a practice. And when you encounter different people, you're going to learn different things and different things are going to come up. So like trying to lock down these theories is to me completely pointless. Yeah. And I just like, I don't, you know, again, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to have like strong opinion about psychoanalysis because, you know, a, I'm a patient, so, and second, I just, I, you know, it's like the, like, I have such a great respect for everyone who is trying, you know, to use their time and energy to heal others, you know, like that's, uh, you know, but, uh, but I'm just, you know, like the, the, what, what you're saying is so interesting, and it, it really speak about, I think, a great, a great divide in, in general between, you know, theory and practice, you know, like the, the fact that, um, you know, like, People write a lot of book on tarot too, <laughs> and and argue about things, but uh, but but none of you know. And I'm happy I wrote this book, but uh, but uh, it's okay, you know. Like I don't, I'm proud of it, but it's just also it's outside of me now, and and my work only has value because I I I do the the practice because I read card for people, and and that's the real uh, sacred space, you know. It, it is in the that. You know, for the way I see it, it's it's like a poetic, um, a healing poetic art form. You know, like the the value of tarot starts very much like a, in a session, you know, in session. <laughs> Start at the beginning and at the end, and then there is time between. You know, uh, but uh, but that's the when the magic happened. Then the rest, the books, the history. Of course, it's interesting, and of course, I will, I'll keep studying. But um, but the, the the real magic is like the the motion and the 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 fact that. I'm going to prove myself wrong every day, you know, <laughs> because I've just suddenly the, the, it's a live, it's a, it, it's a, it's a living art form. Uh, and, um, and very much like 
I'm sure uh, psychoanalysis, you know, like they're like you're it's almost like you're redefining your practice every time you're in session, you know, because like you hear something differently or you're I'm sh I'm sure you're trying to kind of put your theory, but also your own sensibility toward helping or bringing um I guess the patient <laughs> to somewhere, you know, again, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just completely, you know, the, 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 your whole work is a mystery to me. So I know the couch part, because that's where, that's where it's at. It's just, it's, it's really, I'm fascinated by psychoanalysis. I just found it like such an, an ending well um, of intrigue, at least for me. And um and the, that we, which is one of the reasons I am like an avid <laughs> listener of your of your podcast and uh, and your work. I found I found um, analysts and philosophers. I mean, like it's a, I guess it's it's like you know a Western shamanism. You know, <laughs> maybe it's totally totally insane to say that, but this is the the only um, the the only domain where subjectivity has a value. You know, and uh, and uh, and that things are not quantifiable. And that that theory are not really verifiable. Things march in a very different uh, pace, and and having that reintegrated in a, a Western uh, rational uh, worldview is a, it's just uh, like incredibly bold. You know, I'm I'm happy I was born. You know, and I got to experience it like well while it was kind of normalized. But um, yeah, just, I think anybody who's been in analysis understands psychoanalysis because. That's really how you understand it is by seeing these kind of ideas like you can read about it all the time but it's not until you like you know see something at play in your own life and then you're like oh is that what he's talking about like I see how that works you know but it's very different uh, experientially than it is just reading somebody try to explain you know what certain some certain theory is like you know yeah yeah and it's I just often the... wonder what it would be like to have been an analysis without studying it those people really fascinate me like people who don't read it uh, and don't study it but are in analysis it's like I wonder what that's like when you don't like know the theories I mean of course in pop popular culture some of the theories are just around and people just know them generally but uh, when you don't like kind of know these theories to look for you know what is it like to just kind of put things <laughs> together without that it must be amazing <laughs> Well, I can tell you this, you know, for having, having been for a little while in the Lacanian, you know, like, you know, like zone, it's terrifying, you know, I, I knew psychoanalysis, but I didn't understand the Lacanian uh, side of it. And, uh, and I found it to be both interesting and terrifying. Uh, and uh, the, the first time I, my shrink pulled a, a short session on me, I was just like, what? what is this what does like that someone mean? smacking you in the face yeah <laughs> that's how I felt they were like bam I was like what exactly. what's happening now <laughs> exactly I was just like really like and so I was like okay it must mean something well let's just go and try to find out what she tries she's trying to to you know point at right now uh but uh but yeah like the, the thing is nobody you know nobody gives you the the road book for this you know um um I guess now I you know I'm interested in the road book as much as I'm interested in them you know just not you know rationalizing rationalizing it too much uh it's just it's really it's really um uh, you know it's okay but uh yeah well, what, strange ride <laughs> really strange stuff <laughs> really strange stuff
Yeah, I like experiences and processes. When I read tarot for myself, I always do it intuitively. And then I um, always look at Rachel's book, The the 78 Degrees of Wisdom, and see what she has to say about the cards I pulled. Because no matter how many times I've read that book or how many times I've read my own tarot, it's like she always has some gem in there that I hadn't thought of for like every card. There's always like something in there that I'm like, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, I think the the cards that have this very strange um um pa- power, I guess you can use. They're very they're very potent in their way of like reinventing themselves. And of course it's I think, you know, it's also linked to um you know, what what we what we project on it. And that's that's the thing that is very interesting to me because you know, I don't really read my cards for myself. I work with cards every day for other people or I work I do other type of work um, with them, but if I need a tarot reading, I'll go and see a tarot reader and then just get a formal reading um, because it's just like I'm, I'm missing, you know, the the neutrality a little bit. So if if I want to put in one, it's easier to have it done by someone who doesn't know you uh, as much as uh, you believe you do. But um, but yeah, I'm just interested in trying to understand also like the the mechanics of what's happening when I read cards, you know, like, um, you know, not to, you know, toot my own horn, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I managed to have a practice, you know, I've got people comes to see me and, and they come back and I've been in people's uh, life for sometimes many years now. Um, and then, and, and so there is something, you know, like like whatever I read on the card, you know, what 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 is what's the source of that projection, you know, like what's the essence of what I'm seeing, like what am I what am I supposed to funnel here? Is it the person? Is it something from the divine? Is it something that, um, you know, I read in the person rather than in the card? You know, it's just very hard to to know. You know, I don't know if I'm, um, you know, I, I hope I'm magical, but also. <laughs> Um, maybe I'm not. I remember. I I remember once in one of your events you mentioned that that uh, one of your guests wrote that that article, which I asked you after to send me because it was just so interesting. It was an article on on how like basically diviners are like very often victim of childhood trauma and the and that the basically their hypersensitivity, like of like trying to kind of hyper read, you know, like a, an abusive parents. Um, allow them to later on to just kind of develop those almost extrasensory abilities to read people. And um, and as much as I would love to just be a wizard, I'm also, <laughs> since I'm, I've been not a brutalized child, but I've, you know, I have like a very complex family history and stuff. I'm just wondering about that too, you know, like, you know, like, you know, what, what happens, you know, like who's the source of the projection? Is it like, is it, what am I feeling? What am I feeling really? Uh, and um, you know, I might not know, but I found that fascinating. Yeah, no, that's an amazing piece. He actually gave that talk too at the at Morbid Anatomy when when uh, mm-hmm. I was physically in New York and we did physical events there. <laughs> now, of course, we have our online we'll events. Whenever you want, just tell me, and we'll do it. I don't know at the cemetery or something. We'll find you a a cool um, a cool place to do a, an event if you want to. Yeah, that would be fun. When and if I ever get to New York again, <laughs> that would be really fun. Um, 
Yeah, but no, that's an amazing piece. And I, I, I found that really eye-opening as well. You talked about if it's like either abusive parents or like really narcissistic parents and, and it's someone that's just like completely in their own world and, and the child has to learn to, yeah, like anticipate what they're going to do and their reactions like ahead of time in order to kind of protect themselves. Um, yeah, and I can relate to that, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's, but, it's a full read. I can tell you this <laughs> <laughs> takes the kind of yeah, but I think a lot of that can be found. You know, I think magic is something that's totally natural. It's just stuff that we don't understand yet or don't have the kind of science to explain. But it doesn't mean it's not happening. You know, just because we're not able to understand what's happening doesn't mean it's not happening. So to me, it's all it's all natural. The supernatural is natural to me. It's the supernatural is super natural. <laughs> it's supernatural. It's it's supernatural. Yeah, and I feel like just it's it's just such a. I I feel like there like. I feel like that that space never really shifted for some people, you know, and that's the thing. And then we all kind of recognize each other when we see each other, you know. Like this is, I think that one of the humanly speaking, the that just kind of like not knowing but kind of knowing you know like that that person never abandoned the kind of enchanted territory like it's something that you know all brings us together at some point it feels like a lot of uh, great friendship we're kind of like okay we kind of belong together but we can't really understand why let's just stick around <laughs> and so like the, there is this strange power uh, of you know like it's like it has like this strange power to kind of we found each other at some point and, uh, and that's uh, the great, um, you know, the great comfort I found in it too, you know, like um, being able to know that. I think that that was weirdly enough, you know, like I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm no Rachel Pollack, you know, but <laughs> she's uh, such a, an amazing. She's an icon. Uh, yeah, she does. She, <laughs> but I'm just, I'm so proud to be your friend, you know, then, then she, like she wants to you know like I used to go there I used to go to Rhinebeck like once every couple of months and we'll have you know like we'll we'll just have food and um and go to the bookstore and then she will bring me to some like cool places and like she'll drive me around and tell me stories and play games and and look at cards and um and just that thing where you know like I'm not a, you know I'm a very shy person and I'm very easily intimidated specifically for, by people I respect you know I've I've, I've kind of like shut down and I'm just like completely uh, you know, socially awkward but um but yeah it was sort of just some people you know like they're we just meet and then things are completely natural and Rachel is one of those um people where it's just like she never she she just she she's the empress in her own magical domain you know like and um I had like several conversation about that with her it's just like this idea of magic equating to control and how you know for her and very much for me too it is very much like an expression of uh you know like uh, the poetics of nature you know like we just see through you know like uh, synchronicity or um things object we found the way language you know kind of rebound on my life which is something that always it's <laughs> very funny i will see words or i will hear them or just like you know like language has always been something very bizarrely um sign uh, big signifier in my life and um and how you know like somehow we don't we don't have to i'm saying that you know not you know being i don't want to be 
upsetting to people who do uh, ceremonial magic, but uh, I know that for me, the it's just, it's not so much about trying to do a recipe to get a results, you know, it's more kind of just like, you know, like observing very much like a naturalist and seeing what, you know, like what um, the poetics of nature brings uh, to the surface for me to read and maybe make meaning out of. Yeah, I like that too. Maybe do a little gardening, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And I also want to make sure we mention too that your classes you do you teach too as well. Yeah, I teach. Ha ha ha! Come to my class. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's just teaching is great. Um, I I love it so much. Uh, I get to meet uh, incredible people like Gabriella, you know, <laughs> and uh, and then just uh, I'm just really um, I'm really uh, amazed by um, it's just the, the creativity of people. They're like complete. Um, how can I see this? People are longing for imaginative work, and uh, and I think you know that's what we do in the class. We read cards. I I have cards. I have classes where I talk specifically about uh, terror history, or or at least you know try to kind of unfold the history of those images. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just like, it's a, it's a little clubhouse, you know, like we do, we have fun, we do tarot, um, we, uh, speculate things. Um, I like to use, you know, like the, a lot of the work I do is very much linked to, you know, art history and history. Um, so I'm, I'm using, you know, images, uh, to kind of like, um, how can I say that? To stimulate uh, the imagination in general, so like you know, if you can if you can read an image, you can read old images, whether it is a tarot card or a surrealist photography, or or, or you know, like a, an image a, a photograph um, of you from the past, you know, and kind of like read between the lines of things. There's a lot of um, you know, there th th those images uh, can be unpacked in so many ways. So this is basically what I what I do with people. I'm trying to teach them how to, uh, I can't teach them what I know because I don't know how I know what I know, <laughs> but I can teach them how I find it. And it's just through a basic, a playful creative practice, uh, which I personally live as, you know, uh, I'm, because I'm an introvert and I'm, I, you know, like a, this this is my revolt against the world, you know, <laughs> you know just being a you know a crazy art witch doing you know my creating this kind of like world against the grain. I've always been a big uh, resonance, uh, you know. I love that novel so much, the Against Nature. Uh, but it's just this is what I what I you know like I can offer to people, building their you know I lo I love always loved world builders and uh, and I think that when the the world. Uh, become such an hostile place, you know, like we can find refuge in, you know, it doesn't mean we have to only live there, <laughs> but we can find refuge in like, yeah, like, you know, introspective places where uh, we can meet ourselves, you know, and, and, and realize that we can, we can also befriend part of ourselves that we don't know. You know. I think it's important. I think a lot of people during the pandemic got locked in uh, with a part of themselves that they couldn't, they couldn't handle. And, uh, and I think that, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot, of, a lot of people took those classes 
during the, that time. And, uh, and one of the students um, described herself as a quarantine tarot baby. And I thought it was very adorable, but uh, it's true. You know, people kind of suddenly felt like this, you know, that, that they felt compelled to use the tarot because it allowed them to just find, yeah, find some kind of pathway in the jungle. You know, they can match it their way off the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> of of stress and and dark thoughts and chaos around them so so anyway so i teach all the time morbidantomy.org class section you'll find it <laughs> yes i will link to it no it's amazing and i love on your instagram how you're always showing images and saying what what does this card remind you of it's like helping people generate their own kind of ideas about things instead of just telling them this is what this is like you know yeah and i'm sure that also like I think I think people tend that people want. Uh, I'm I'm very surprised that sometimes people feel that they really want. They love the dogma. They love that to have like a an overpowering person telling them this is what this is. This is what tarot is. This is the rules. Don't go out of the. <laughs> this is, by the way, actually, you know, and uh, and I think like what I'm I'm not trying to make a, a very important point apart from you know like showing beautiful images and then giving people an opportunity to play but it's interesting um i think people suddenly are confronted to the multiplicity of answers and i think that it allows them to be a lot more open about you know the different interpretation the fact that there is not of course there can't be one unilateral answers tarot it doesn't work this way it's not a it's not a science it's subjective that's why um it's um, it can reinvent itself from one generation to the next, you know. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Letizia Barbier. For more, visit her website, letiziacarnomancy.com and follow her at Instagram at letitia.cardomancy. Check out all the events as well as Letitia's classes at Morbid Anatomy Museum. Visit morbidanatomy.org for links and more information. You can follow me on social media at rawsin underscore. That's R-A-W-S-I-N underscore. And now, someone is waiting for me. A collaboration I did with Thomas Bay William Bailey on the album Message 23. Enjoy.
someone is waiting for me. Someone is waiting for me. Someone is waiting for me. The cut-up method was, was a member of both, is set across in the, someone is waiting for me. Bad conscience of complacency to say what's temporary has no elsewhere. Body and put on it. Spread eagle on the comb. Affirmative. Ready, go. Affirmative.